Welcome to the Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. Great to have you with us. Calvary meets in the Joppa Falston area north of Baltimore. If you're nearby, come join us. For all the details, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. And now, here's this week's teaching. Good morning and happy, uh, happy Memorial Day. Uh, weekend anyways. Again, thank you to our servicemen and women. We are very, very grateful for all that you've done and do. So this is a, this is a fun one for me, and I say that every week, but they're always fun for different reasons. And this one's fun because I get to talk about symbolism, which you may go, oh, I'm getting out of here. But let me tell you, this is good. The 66 books that make up our Bible, God's Word, is communicated to us in lots of different ways and writing styles. Did you know that? For example, the Bible uses lots of poetry in the Psalms. It has historical narrative when you read some of the Kings and Samuel, and it's genealogical, and it has law, and it has proverbial, and it has prophecy, and much of the New Testament was written in letter, in epistle. Form. And of course, the thinking of Jesus, how did Jesus speak in parables? Well, the book of Revelation was written in a unique style called apocalyptic. It was written in apocalyptic style, meaning God gave us his revelation, the last book of the Bible, in a writing style, the apocalyptic, that is jam-packed with pictures and symbols. And isn't that peculiar? The last book he gives us is filled with imagery. Now, if we go all the way back to the very first verse of Revelation, I'll read it to you. John pens the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servant the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Made it known. Made it known here is a Greek word called semino, and that Greek word literally means symbol. This book was symboled to John, meaning we were told in the very first verse of this book that it would be communicated in the language of symbol, and these symbols draw and derive their meaning from different symbols from the whole Bible, and this, have you noticed when you listen to different pastors go through the book of Revelation, it sounds like they're reading a different book? Has anyone else noticed that? This is where pastors get into a lot of trouble. Because since this book is filled with so much symbology, every pastor has to make a decision. How do I interpret these symbols? And this is where a lot of the wacky interpretations of Revelation uh, come from, when people start using the newspaper as their guide to interpreting the symbols. Well, that makes a lot of sense now, but what happened when people did it in the 1600s? Or the year 100? Or all the way down? This is where, when you, when you study church history, 100% of the people that have used mod- current events as the interpretive clue to breaking down the symbols, 100% of the time they've been wrong. Through 2,000 years, they've been wildly off. Now, personally, I do believe we're in the last days. And personally, I, can't, I think Jesus is coming back any minute. I'm ready for those trumpets. But it is a possibility that Jesus could return in 30,000 more years. Yeah. <laughs> Was that you, Ro? That sounded like Ro. 
<laughs> it's appointed for all Italians to die. Uh, <laughs> what was that line? Never go in against the Sicilian when death is on the line. That's from Princess Bride. I got a problem. Um, but couldn't the Lord return in 30,000 years? Couldn't he? Yeah, he can do whatever he wants to do. You know why? Because he's God and we're not. We need to hold the possibility that we may still be the early church. So the newspapers and present day events are the worst way to understand these symbols. So I believe the best way to interpret the symbols of this book is by turning to the 65 books God has already given us that has given us before the book of Revelation as a means of explaining the symbols. That doesn't seem like God to give us parables or give us, give us teachings with no ability to discern them, does it? No, it doesn't. I, 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 I think a helpful way to think about this is that the 65 books, Genesis through Jude, think of it as God has been developing a language through those 65 books where trees represent certain things. We see that in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eat of any tree in the fruit of the garden except for, the, for that one. And then, and then we see in Psalm 1, blessed is the righteous man. He's like a tree planted by many waters. And then, and then we see that in Jeremiah. And then we see that Jesus likens Christians to good trees that produce good fruit and bad trees. And so there's God's building a language around trees. And God does the same thing with water. And then he does the same thing with the Jordan River. And he does the same thing with the earth and caves and all through all 65 books, God has been developing a language. And now at this point, at this point in the book of Revelation, God has written this book in those symbols that we may finally be able to read in this language. So understand that all of all, uh, so understand that communicating in symbols is a very purposeful thing that God's doing that helps us that the more we know of the 65 books that come before it, the more we can understand it. Which is one of the reasons why I chose the book of Revelation to unpack, because I really, it was, I couldn't pick which book of the Bible I wanted to teach. I wanted to teach all of them. Well, I chose Revelation so I could teach all of them, uh, and because they, it's built upon the rest. Now, understand that communicating in symbols isn't something dumber ancient people used to do. And <laughs> our culture, we are beyond symbols. For example, think of Memorial Day. Think of the American bald eagle. That eagle's on a lot of our paintings. It's on the floor of the White House. It's, it's on our money. Why? The bald eagle was chosen in June 20th, 1782 as the emblem, the symbol of the United States of America. So the bald eagle was chosen as our symbol to the nations. And why? Because of its long life, its great strength, its majestic flight. Also because they believed it was the only continent where the bald eagle existed. They were wrong. <laughs> but the eagle was represented freedom. And so in 1782, our founding fathers wanted to symbol to, to the American people and to the nations that America would have strength, we were unique and majestic, that we were free, we would have long life. And this is all from using a symbol, a picture of a bird. <laughs> or think about marriage. To those of you that are married or engaged, you wear a ring on your hand, you're speaking in symbol to everyone you meet. You're communicating that there is a family behind this ring. When you put this ring on every day, you know what you're saying? You're redeclaring your vows. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, <laughs> or really poor, <laughs> until death do us part, baby, right? That's just, 
what this means. Or think about how a father walks his daughter down the aisle. I'm giving you my bride. You touch her, I'll kill you, right? (laughs) Or think about how a father sits at the head of the table. Or uh, when you graduate, they give you a little cap and gown to symbolize what this means. We use symbolism, even in our culture, for some of the things that are the most precious to us. Even today, we communicate this way. And so as we continue to march through the book of Revelation, we're going to start seeing even more and more all of these symbols and all of these signs. And we're going to see this in the trumpet plagues. And we have to keep in mind that God is communicating the most profound truths and warnings and instructions to his people. And we need to know that these symbols are not unknowable. God has given us 65 other books to help us understand the language of symbol that he's using here. And he communicates some really powerful things if we can discern that language. So with that, let's jump right in. Uh, Revelation chapter 8. Our our text starts at verse 10, but we're going to get a running start at verse 7 or 6 here. Now, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And the first angel blew his trumpet, and there, uh, there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. New territory. Verse 10. And then the, thir- the third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. So the first trumpet destroyed a third of the land-based foods. The second trumpet destroyed the sea-based foods. There goes your sushi. The third trumpet destroys now your drinking water. So we have moved from a food shortage to a water shortage. Again, uh, if you're wondering when this happened, these things have not yet happened, but will happen one day, uh, during the, right before the return of our Lord during the Great Tribulation. Now, wormwood. I spent a lot of time on wormwood. Wormwood is uh, what's used to make absinthe. So if you're a heathen and have had absinthe before now, <laughs> uh, it'll make you crazy. But it is a, a bitter plant that is typically not deadly, but it is very bitter and can cause an upset stomach. However, the wormwood the end times world is receiving is both bitter and deadly. So this is a different kind. Now, wormwood is somewhat prevalent in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 29, Proverbs 5, Jeremiah 9, Amos 5. Wormwood is, of course, Uh, bitter, but is often used as a symbol, as a picture for suffering or bitter bitter evil or sorrow from divine judgment. In the book of Proverbs, uh, the book of Proverbs, one of my favorite books, they're all my favorite, but one of my favorite books, uh, it's the story of a man talking to his son. The book of Proverbs, if you want to understand it. He's talking to his son, and through the whole book, there's two women 
There's the woman of chaos who's pursuing his son. And then there's, the, 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 I'm sorry, there's, there's the wisdoms who's pursuing his son. And then there's the foreign woman, the woman of chaos who's pursuing his son. There, there's a good girl and a bad girl, and he's begging his son to choose the good girl. And he tells his son in the book of Proverbs that he who marries a evil woman is, is one who drinks wormwood. It's bitterness, it's sorrow, it's death to the bones. Uh, in, in, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 9.15, uh, Jeremiah 23.15, God is sick of the Israelites choosing idolatry over God himself, so he then judges them symbolically by giving them wormwood, bitter poison water to drink. And the, the point in Jeremiah was that if the people were to be polluted with idolatry, God would pollute them with bad water. Israel, who was meant to be a fountain of life to the world, became polluted with sin. So in like response, God polluted Israel's waters. I believe it's really helpful. When reading the Bible, understand that there is often a symmetry in God's judgments. Uh, Often, sometimes, uh, someone is punished by the very means by which one sins. Uh, So... um, uh, Jacob and I, we'll start with Eglon. King Eglon. Uh, King Eglon from Moab. Remember that from the book of uh, Judges? He was so fat he could barely move. And Ehud, the left-handed assassin, he stabs King Eglon, king of Moab, in his stomach. And it said he was so fat the sword disappeared. It just, <laughs> it ate it. And then he pooped himself and died. And that's, that's, but there was an irony. His God was his stomach. So he died by his stomach. Uh, we see that with the stealing of the birthright. Like his God was his stomach, and he was tricked by his stomach. Same thing with Esau. His God was hunting and game in his stomach, and he sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. Samson. Samson sinned and celebrated with the Philistines, and it was at a Philistine celebration was how he died. Uh, in the book of Revelation, the world spills the blood of the martyrs, and so God makes it rain the blood of the martyrs on the world as judgment. And Well, here too, in the end times, if the world must persist in idolatry, if they insist upon being a polluted people, as Elijah may say, a double-minded people, God will give them polluted water. Water mixed with wormwood will give them life mixed with death. Listen to what God says in Jeremiah 23, 15. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out from all the land. You see, the the, the poison was directly connected with ungodliness. God looks upon a people who have spread ungodliness, have spread idolatry as a polluted well or river. Uh, The nations have polluted themselves with idols, and so now God will give them a representation of their sin, bettered water. Do you remember last week? What did uh, Exodus chapter one? Pharaoh threw all the Hebrew children in the water in the Nile. The Nile was a place of blood to God and His people. Well, the first plague of Egypt, God turns the Nile to blood, showing the, the Egyptians what it actually was. Well, now these people in the end times are drinking bitter water because they've become bitter to God. Now, the star is named Wormwood. Uh, I could be wrong here, but there's, this star seems to be an actual person. 
Uh, Isaiah 14, 12 through 15 uses very similar language to Revelation here, speaking of a person or Satan. In chapter Revelation chapter 12, we are given a very similar language again, this time directly referring to Satan falling from heaven like a fallen star. So using the Bible as our guide, the star that is connected with these bitter waters seems to be symbolizing this is some sort of a person or a demon. Maybe this is the Antichrist. Maybe this is the false prophet. Maybe this is Satan. Maybe this is someone else. I have no idea, but this seems to be someone. If you figure it out, let me know, but that's what I got. Uh, Verse 12. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened. And a third of the day may be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. The first trumpet affected the land and trees. The second trumpet affected the seas and ocean. The third trumpet affected the drinking water, and now the fourth trumpet affects the sky. Here is another trumpet that draws from the plagues of Egypt where God blacked out the sun for three days. Uh, But here, God is going to black out the sun for a third of the day, block out the moon and the stars for a third of the night. Point being, day and night, the unbelievers will have a reminder fixed in the sky that they are in darkness. When God blacked out the sun in the book of Exodus and the plagues uh, of Egypt, God was not only proving that he was mightier than Ra, the sun god, but also that Egypt was a place of darkness. They thought they were the light and wisdom to the world. And God goes, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) You are dark, a darkness that can be felt. And if you read, really fun, if you read the account of the Exodus in Exodus chapter 11, it says the place where the Israelites lived in the land of Goshen, it said they had light. Why did God allow the Israelites to have light but the, uh, but the, while the Egyptians had darkness? Because the Israelites weren't in spiritual darkness. Well, so too here, the world is in spiritual darkness, and now God is symboling to them. He's giving the world a visual representation of it. The unsaved world, 1 John 2.10, walks in darkness, and now God is symbolizing it to them. And that's today's text. Uh, Symbolism. There is so much symbolism in our passage, and there's going to keep being a whole lot of symbolism in this book. But, But I feel... I feel it would be really helpful for us to focus on light and darkness. In our fourth trumpet, uh, one of the things that that is a little alarming to me, doesn't it appear that as a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars become dark, doesn't it almost seem like darkness is overcoming the light? That's one of the things that stuck with me. It's like, I thought things were supposed to get brighter. (laughs) Why are they getting darker. The sun, the moon, the stars, all light are starting to become dark. If we look at the Gospel of John, specifically the first chapter of the Gospel of John, it's clear that the light overcomes the darkness. The light wins. So how do we reconcile that the light doesn't appear to be winning here? Well, question. What did God do and say on the first day of creation? Let there be light. And there was. How cool is that, right? (laughs) I can't say let there be a burrito and there was, but God, whole cosmos. Now I want a burrito. Uh, God said let there be light and there was. God 
created light. Light was light is first associated with life, the first day of creation in the Bible. And then God on the fourth day made the sun, the moon, and the stars, and he filled the sky with life and light and darkness. Darkness has been associated with death. Job 33.30, Job 3.16, darkness is like a tomb, is a symbol for death. Jesus in Matthew 22.13, what does he call hell? A place of outer darkness. So the first thing we want to see here as we, we talk about what light and dark symbol communicate in today's passage is that as God blacks out a third of the moon and a third of the stars and a third of the, uh, of the sun, that God is slowly removing life from the old world. The universe, you want to, anyone have a dimmer switch in their house? God is now dimming the lights off on the old creation. And another way to think about it is God is reversing his creation account. Slowly he's undoing the original work that he did because he's getting ready for the new. What does the ad book say? Behold, I make all things new. So here is what we cannot miss. As the world walks in darkness, where are the saints right now? Basking in light. As the world walks in darkness and yet grows darker, the saints are in heaven basking. They are basking, will bask, and will continue to bask forever in the light of God and his glory. And what we see here is that it is not the, it is not the believer, but the unbeliever who will continue growing in darkness. You know, we find ourselves in the dead of winter, and you know when the days are really short, and it's like it's been sunny four hours today. What is this? <laughs> and, and we find, you know, we, we find that the, the nights are long, and it's cold, and the plants and the trees look dead. Don't we always have that hope springs in two months? And Ponsatani Phil, if you see your shadow, I'm shooting you, right? Like, springs are coming, eventually. You ever find yourself on a hard day's work? I mean, no, I know not you, not you guys, but find yourself on a hard day's work. Your coworkers are driving you nuts. They're just all incompetent on Thursdays or whatever it is, and you... You don't find yourself paid quite enough and your lunch was terrible. There was a hair on it. And, you know, you always, you just, you have that comfort to go, two more hours till I'm home. Two more hours till I'm home. Don't strangle this person. <laughs> but here's what we should see, that these seven trumpets, they don't end and then we get back to the good old days. To Sunday brunch day and Raven season tickets and two more days till I'm off work. Oh no. What those who walk in darkness do not realize is that the dark only grows darker forever apart from Christ. This is why the gospel is called the, G the good news because Jesus saved humanity from the bad news of eternal darkness. <laughs> few years ago, I was um, doing a funeral for a prostitute who died from heroin, young 20s, seven-year-old front row, and the, it was packed. The funeral was packed with young people, and they all looked rough. 
a lot of them anyways. <laughs> it's all these young people, and one of her friends gets up to share. And for 10 minutes, never seen someone talk so long about nothing. For 10 minutes, this, her friend of hers, around her age, got up and was talking about how happy she is now and how she's in heaven and she has wings. And I just slowly grew more and more sad and grieved. I, I'm getting weary of it. I have attended too many funerals of unbelievers. <laughs> Attend, officiate, and, 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 and in these funerals often where the minister or the friend or whoever gets up and they talk about them in heaven uh, or in a better life and they're watching down on us now and playing cards with Tupac or you know whatever they're... <laughs> and listen, I, I get it. I get it, okay? You, you're looking at people that are sad. You want to give them hope. You want to, get, you want to help their grief. You want to give them comfort. And sometimes, you know, a lot of times you know someone had faith, but you don't really know how good of faith, so you're hopeful. You ever been in that position? Unfortunately, too much, right? And you go, well, I think they're saved. Let's go with it, you know? And, you know, there, there's, and, and there's also a reality, right? Like, God gives a lot of grace to, to people in really dark places, okay? There's... There's a lot of grace there, and at times we can, we can hop on hopeful. There's, that's okay. But, <laughs> and please hear me, the, the, the downside to acting like every single person is in heaven besides maybe Hitler, <laughs> in the example of the funeral I was running, is that after her friend shared, every young person in that room who, like the deceased, are throwing their lives away with drugs or getting high and drunk and sleeping around and sitting just like them, feels completely vindicated in their sin. They feel validated to change nothing because the minister or the friend got up there and go, you will be in heaven one day with them. And if they act just like the one who died and they are in heaven, then naturally one day, regardless of how they live, no matter how godless it may be, they're going to be in heaven too. And so if they can live a life completely detached from the teachings, the ministry, the mission of Jesus Christ, of any biblical faith, if we can reject God by every single metric and category and still be in heaven, then why should we do anything at all? Why should we follow Jesus? It's a heck of a lot easier to be home right now eating bacon on the sofa. <laughs> you ever wake up on Sunday and go, I don't feel like going to church today? I mean, I know not you guys because it's so wonderful here. <laughs> Why should anyone change anything about themselves if they're all heaven bound anyways? Do you see? Hear me, loved ones. It's okay to be hopeful that people are in heaven. Of course. But the world needs the gospel. And if we pretend everyone's heaven bound but Hitler, there's no gospel because there's no bad news. Jesus talked about hell more than anyone in the Bible. Do you know why? Because he loved people enough to fight to keep them out of it. He loved them enough to warn them. The world needs the message of both the light and the darkness. The world needs the message of Jesus Christ and to follow him and his word because John 9, 5, Jesus is the light of the world. 
And apart from him, 1 John 1, 5 is only darkness. The reality to the unsaved world is not that the darkness gives way to light. Oh, no. The reality is that to the unsaved is that the darkness gives way to even more darkness. Eternal darkness. And here in Revelation, it has just begun. The darkness is growing darker and longer to those who reject the Messiah and Jesus Christ. And soon, this third of darkness is going to turn into a half to a whole. And the only way out of the darkness is one way. Repent and turn to the light. Now, 1 John 1 says, I spent a lot of time in 1 John this week. 1 John 1 verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. John is saying, this is what Jesus told us. And wouldn't you love be able to say that? Jesus told me <laughs> when I was eating fish with him somewhere. Jesus told me that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You want to know unity and peace amongst people is proof of light. And if you know someone who's always fighting and always a victim, that's proof of darkness. So we really need to be careful to not be in contention always. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Not most, all sin. Something really powerful is happening here. John is telling us Jesus is the light. And when Jesus and then tells us to walk in the light, John is laying out that the believer, the one who is of the light, follows and walks towards, to, towards the light. Now, most people don't catch the Old Testament passage John is likely referring to here. If we look to the account of the Exodus, God created a new light for, for the life of his people in the wilderness. In the wilderness, it says that God created a pillar of fire. That the Israelites then walked towards this pillar of fire. So the way this worked was when the Israelites traveled at night in the wilderness, those 40 years they were stuck there, God created this giant pillar of fire that shed light on the host of Israel. And when that thing moved at night, they moved at night and they walked in its light through the night. This pillar of fire, this light was symbolic of God and who is light guiding his people to walk through a dark world to where? Where was the light leading them? The promised land. Which is why John later says in 1 John 2, uh, 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. John may be, and it seems to have been personally taught by the Lord that the pillar of fire in the wilderness was a picture of Jesus Christ and his church. That if we would not walk in the light, like the Israelites in the wilderness, walking and traveling in the darkness, we would trip and fall and stumble. Because you try to walk around in a really dark place with no light, you're in trouble. <laughs> Jesus is the light. He is the pillar of fire from the wilderness for us to navigate the darkness. Now, this is what's so powerful to me. Why did the Israelites follow the pillar of fire? Because it was bringing them home to Zion, to the promised land. Isn't this the same exact reason we follow our good shepherd? Mm -hmm. 
so that we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives? (laughs) Hope. We follow the light because of hope. And when we read the Bible and we follow, we walk and follow the light, you know we are hoping and trusting in our Lord that he is true to his word and he will bring us home to a place where there is no sin, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death, no more darkness. And only in Christ alone is that true. Only by way of the cross may we defeat the darkness and forever dwell in the light. In Revelation 21-25, we are told that the believer will forever live in a place called the New Jerusalem, never to experience darkness again. Listen to this. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Isn't that interesting? The unbeliever goes to the place of outer darkness, or the unbeliever does, and the believer goes to the place where there's no more night. (laughs) Jesus removes us so far from any darkness. And what we need to see and what we have to see here about eternity and darkness and light is that nothing unclean will enter at the new Jerusalem. Nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life, it says. And here's what we must say. See, the day only grows brighter in Christ. There is only light forever in Christ. This is why people need the gospel. If we pretend everyone is retiring to the light, we have failed the world. Jesus, one of the last things he told us was go. Go to the ends of the earth and teach them. Show them and baptize. Make disciples. Give them the gospel. Was the Apostle Paul meant to go to Asia Minor and Rome and go, nope, you're all saved. This guy died for you. What a travesty. And you, you're the missionary. You're the Apostle Paul to your family. Do you know that? You're the missionary to your home, to the Wachowskis, to the, to the Smiths. to the. That's you. That's your land. That's your place. You go, oh, no, you're all good. No. You have failed. Well, people need to, they need the light. They need to know. That the darkness and and Satan and sin and death and pain and sorrow will only ever end in Christ. Because as this book progresses, we're going to see that the darkness gets darker and darker and darker for the unbelieving world. And eventually ends in the place of outer darkness, the, the lake of fire, forever removed from the light of God's presence. But the believer will dwell forever in the light of God's glory. I got to read it to you because it's so good. Revelation 22 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. You know, I never caught this before. Do you love going to like the beach and just looking at the water? Apparently so does God. He put a river right in front of his throne chair there. It's a little beach chair. Uh, beach throne. I don't want to be... It's a powerful throne. I just, you know. (laughs) Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And 
No longer will there be anything accursed. No more curses. No more pain. No more suffering. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. That's the beatific. And night will be no more. No more night. Isn't that cool? They will need no light. You're not going to need the night. You know why? They will, they, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The Lamb is the lamp. Wow. The light that does not end is Christ, and anything apart from Christ is darkness forever. So as we close, let me say three really quick things here. First, as believers, we need to share the gospel. God has not called us to go into all the ends of the world and make sure no one's uncomfortable. (laughs) Go into all the ends of the world and make sure everyone loves you. They need Christ. They need Christ. Yes, God is lovely and merciful and kind. And don't be a jerk, right? But would be... Of course, be loving. But this also means that people need to know that they are sinners that need saving, just like you were a sinner that needs saving. Now, secondly, if you're not a believer, then know this. The the bad news for humanity, one of the things I do when I talk to someone who thinks they're going to heaven because they were baptized to two, you know, or whatever, and live like a hellion, I tell them, you know the worst news? And they go, what? That God is good, and you are not. (laughs) That you, like everyone in this room, everyone in this world, you are a sinner. Just like this guy. (laughs) Everyone here. And that's the bad news, because God doesn't sin. And he is a just God, and your sins must be atoned for. But the good news is that he sent his only begotten son to pay for the sin of the world. And all you must do to avoid the eternal darkness is say... I'm going to follow Christ. (laughs) I choose the light. And not only believe in him, but follow him. If you say you believe him, but do not follow him, by proof you do not believe him. Because if he is the way, the truth, and the life, and you reject him, you have rejected the way, you've rejected the truth, and you've rejected the life. So follow Christ. The third thing I want to say is to the believer. If we may draw from the imagery of the pillar of fire, which is so cool, right? That that as we follow Jesus in this life, he's leading us to the promised land. (laughs) But even though we follow the light, isn't it true that there's also a sense that we're traversing and surrounded by darkness? And as we walk in the light, we, we are surrounded by death and lies and evil. You ever deal with difficult people or is it just me? (laughs) We're surrounded by darkness. And if we step out of the light, what does John say in 1 John 2? We will stumble. We will, you ever have someone and they just bring out the worst in you? They just make you a crazy person. Walk in the light, loved ones. Get back in the light. As John says in 1 John, we will stumble and fall. And sometimes it's easy to step out of the light. But we must not. We must follow the light. Because every day that we wake up and we fight the good fight and we run the race and we share his 
Uh, we, we walk towards the Lord. And we, I, this is, I say it all the time. And we study the word to live the word, to share the word. There's also a sense that we're surrounded by evil. But we must not be afraid because we know how our journey ends, don't we? We know that as we follow that light, it will end us in the promised land. I want to read it to you. I want to read the promised land to you for us in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold... The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and he will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers, I will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderer, the sexually immoral, the sorcerer, the idolater, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That The story of our book ends with God's people in the house of the Lord forever, never to be surrounded by darkness again. And so the darkness may be growing, but not for us. Not for his people. For us, the darkness is coming to an end. So if I can say one simple thing, if you only hear one thing this big man's telling you today, follow him. Follow the light, for it will end gloriously for you. Follow him. Let's pray. God, we, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We thank you for your word. We, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for... Our hope. (sighs) That when we die, we do not stay dead. (laughs) When we die, we live because you live. And God, when, when we die, there is not nothingness. Oh no. When we die, there is life because you are life. And there is joy because you are joy. And there is community because you are community. God, all of these things, all of these promises come forth from you, the life giver, the light. And so we we praise you. And God, we pray that where we are not walking as we should, God, that you would bring us back to the light and keep us from stumbling. God, we pray that you help us to be peacemakers. We pray that you help us to be poor in spirit and not so puffed up with ourselves, God. So preoccupied with our own favor with people. Let us love people enough to give them the gospel. Not make idols out of our own reputations. God, we pray that if anyone needs prayer, that they receive prayer with our prayer team up here, a special prayer. 
And God, we ask that you would comfort us and be with us and speak with us. And God, I pray that these words may not fall to the ground, but that they may stick in our brains and our hearts and that we may carry them with us in a profound new way. And it says that one day you would write your law on our hearts, God. Let write on us. Let us not leave today and go, I don't know what I learned. <laughs> God, write on us. Write on us. And we ask all these things in accordance with your will and your goodness. And in Jesus' name, all who agreed said, Amen. Let's stand and worship. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Calvary Baltimore. Please keep in touch. Send us an email with your questions, prayer requests, or just to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. If you'd like to donate to support the work God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. And if you're in the area, stop by on a Sunday morning. For directions and service times, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org. Finally, if you're unable to come see us in person, we also live stream on our website and on our Facebook page. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Until next time, keep drawing closer to God through the reading of His Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore Sermon Podcast.